Welcome to this episode of Libraries Ready to Code uh, for Games and Schools and Libraries. I'm Donald Dennis, and I'm here with a guest, John. John, uh, could you let our listeners know where you can be found um, on the internet and uh, what library you're with? Um, I am with the Hartford Public Library. I mostly keep off of social media a lot, but John Armando at Hotmail.com is how I usually do my communication. Gotcha. So if they have questions about this after the show, they can hit you up via Hotmail? Yep. Nice. Because this is sort of the first one that we're doing with folks outside of our library, what's your experience with the Ready to Code cohort, or rather, um, how did you get involved in it? Coming out of college, uh, which was like almost a year ago now, um, I came out of computer science, and uh, I because I had such wonderful professors, I really was into the education side of things. So um, uh, I was looking to go out and get a Ph.D., which uh, I'm still intending to do next year, but I wanted to take a year off. Um, there is this opportunity at the Hartford Public Library, and I saw it as a great way to sort of get into the teaching and education side of computer science. So I went ahead and took that up. When uh, the opportunity came, when we were looking at some grants, we saw the Ready to Code one. We thought that fit in great, especially uh, um, we could, you know, obviously use the funding to expand um, what we're trying to do with our uh, curriculum and everything. So we went from there, and uh, now we're here today. Nice. So what is your coding background or your computational thinking background? Where where do you come from to to make this an exciting part of what you're doing at your library? Uh, so I came from uh, Quinnipiac University. I went in actually as a game design major. Um, I wasn't really sure going into college what I really wanted to do, but I loved video games. Um, I was actually really sort of intimidated by computer science in the beginning. Uh, but uh, off a recommendation by uh, some people at my college, uh, they said that you should either try to um, add computer science or some sort of uh, artistic area along with game design if you want to really take it seriously since uh, game design degrees are sort of um, weak at this point. Uh, so I added on computer science cause I'm not, I'm not very good with art. So, uh, and I ended up loving it. I actually dropped uh, game design down to a minor. I did on mathematics as a minor. Um, and I just sort of took off with it and I did a bunch of independent projects. Uh, I actually made my own, um, sort of virtual assistant. If you know, like what Cortana and Siri is. Um, and I entered that into a competition at a, uh, computing conference and that went great and then um you know just because you know i fell in love with computer science so much because of how my professors were i just wanted to do the same thing they were doing for others trying to get into computer science and computational uh, areas so um i sort of just came out of college took this job and you know keep wanting to do that education side of things so do you still use your uh, virtual assistant around your home and office um, yeah, occasionally I, uh, we took a little bit, I was working on it with a colleague of mine who's now in like Iowa. So, um, it sort of got hard to continue to work on it. Uh, but the whole point of making it was really just to, um, you know, have an easier time doing things just at home. Like you said, um, like for instance, it could, uh, locate, uh, any file you specify on your computer via voice command and i have a very cluttered desktop because i always say i'm going to keep it clean and i never do so um 
it was just sort of to do that. So yeah, I do use it for that a lot. Um, it does takes voice commands to turn lights on in the room and everything if you set it up properly. So. Well, neat. So when patrons come in with questions, are you, or when they come in for any of the ready to code activities, are you like frontline personnel? Are you one of the folks who is helping stage the programs or what is your part of um, the ready to code activities? Yeah, so I uh, pretty much direct and teach the program. I'm the only like core computer science staff at the library. Uh, we have um, some people who are somewhat knowledgeable about it that can contribute, especially in like mathematic areas of computer science. But I'm pretty much the full-time uh, computer science guy there. Uh, we are looking at bringing in other staff now, though. Okay. Well, neat. What have you been working on activity-wise uh, at, at the library? Um, well, recently, uh, we've um, – well, I've been doing a lot of stuff. Uh, I've been trying to take off uh, with this a lot, especially because computer science is in a really good place in Connecticut education-wise. So last summer, we had a huge program, and I um, uh, set it up sort of as a research study. So um, I went ahead and took down a bunch of data. I structured it uh, based off of how a study would be struct structured scientifically, and I really wanted to prove that um, we, we focused mostly on uh, high school students, so 13 and 19 years old, um, and I wanted to really prove that uh, high school students could uh, learn – actual college level programming skills uh, efficiently and not have to always rely on, um, you know, starting off in a scratch type of scenario. Um, so I taught them college level Java uh, over a variety of topics. And I'm currently show, uh, working on a publication that shows a, a great um, retention to that knowledge from the students, which has been great. Since uh, we sort of got RTC, we are trying to bring or we are bringing in the Microsoft HoloLens, which is a great uh, up and coming uh, technology that uh, I thought we should have some type of, uh, you know, up and coming technology integrated into the program. Just uh, make it look attractive, especially um, for youth who are a little, little hesitant. They can see what cool things are out there to fiddle with or play with and what technology can kind of do and what the creative side of technology is. So um, that really opened up the door to bring in the HoloLens. And then other than that, we've been working on this uh, sort of curriculum to uh, bring youth into, uh, you know, relevant job positions, uh, especially since in, you know, around my library, we uh, have a lot of underrepresented, you know, low income households. So college is not always really an option. Um, and since there's so many technology-related jobs out there, uh, we wanted to try to provide an avenue to uh, have youth interested in these areas to sort of go through this extensive curriculum and then uh, sort of get out into the workforce through the library. Did you purchase the HoloLens through grant funding, or was it something you were able to, to leverage uh, outside of that, or did you, you know, manage to get one on loan from Microsoft? Uh, we did that through the grant funding, I believe. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure that was how we opened up the door to bring one in. So nice. I would say that was through the grant funding. Do you know what that cost? Ooh, um, I think there's a couple versions. Uh, I think there's one or two, but I think the one we got was like 2000 It's expensive, but 
um, that's sort of what you're looking at for an up-and-coming technology. But uh, it comes with a bunch of support for it. It's not just the HoloLens. Um, it comes with a bunch of like relevant you know APIs that you can reference in regards to programming and um, so you know Microsoft support with it and everything. Nice. Um, now, how how's the reception for that particular piece of hardware gone? So we haven't we haven't got it in yet. It's coming in, I believe, next week. Mm. We uh, brought in we're so we're kind of we have this space called U Media. Um, and that's where sort of all the youth-related activities happen. And we sort of just uh, reorganized it to um, have a little bit more, I don't know, a better flow between um, sort of the, you know, relaxed, uh, relaxation type of things and the educational type of things. So now there's this uh, sort of computer science area in there. Um, and we're trying to bring in a couple desktops that we just purchased and everything before we can really get into using the HoloLens. But uh, as soon as those are sort of set up, um, I'll probably be taking a lot of time to start developing resources for educational-oriented activities for it. Well, I, I expect you to come back and talk to us about it and tell us how it goes. Now, uh, the HoloLens was the one that they showed where they looked at a blank table and, and 3D Minecraft appeared. Um, that was a couple of years ago. Yeah, a few years back, and they have a Mars thing where you can look around and you'd be like they're exploring on Mars through the HoloLens, right? Um, what what are some of the other features of this particular piece of technology that you hope to, as an augmented reality tool, uh, you know, really bring to light? Um, well, one of the things that I think is cool that um, I haven't really seen a lot that you know you see a lot in sci-fi films and everything, and I, I you know I believe eventually. It, you know, we will be using the same sort of technology as the use of sort of hologram, re, you know, related tools uh, where, you know, you don't really um, have to sort of get a TV, but through, you know, having hologram technology, you can have, you know, a screen sort of pop up holographically. So, um, you know, like you said, with the 3D Minecraft and stuff, all that stuff is really cool and you can sort of, Imagine and take on, you know, unique uh, perspectives of jobs, you know, doing stuff like that. Like, imagine being an art architect that has the HoloLens. You could take on a whole new perspective of how you could do that role. Right. And it's the kind of thing that there are so many minor little tasks that you could also do if, if it becomes more omnipresent, like cell phones. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, where's the history section in the library, even if you're not a patron who's normally there, right? You know, can put up your quest yeah. arrow and show these books are where you should be looking for general history, and it could ask you to refine it and that kind of stuff. You know, not we're not trying to remove librarian jobs here, but that's just an example that we would certainly all recognize. Now, before the, uh, the Ready to Code grant, what kind of technology profile did your uh, location have? Because you mentioned the U-Media location area and you're, and you're bringing in some new computers, what were you doing before the grant? Luckily, with computer science, you know, you don't need to have that big of a budget. There are some necessities, but um, we had a bunch of laptops uh, for youth, uh, and that was just through UMedia. We, we allow them to sort of rent it out if they're at the library in order, like, to use it for homework or whatever else. So I would use those laptops for, um, you know, any workshops or long-term programs, and just off of that, I could do, uh, you know, simple Java activities and stuff. And th that's enough to do, um, you know, lessons and whatever else uh, related to programming uh, for how I structured it. 
But, um, you know, it's sort of when you get more funding and, you know, stuff that you can use to purchase more materials and technology, you can really start exploring the, the, like I said, the cool and creative side of things and show off what you can do once you have that background. Mm -hmm. So um, it's really just, you know, like a kid in a candy store at that point where um, once you have the availability to purchase more technology, you can really start expanding what you can do with the program. So before that, it was just really just going through, you know, a lot of the basics of Java just with laptops. But it really, we really didn't have, a, other than laptops, anything else uh, so you, sort of, just projector. So you didn't have any video game machines or anything along those lines? Well, we do have video game. We have an Xbox and PS4 in the media thing. Um, that sort of just stays uh, in that area. I don't really, I can't really, or I mean, I probably could, but um, we don't really take that for programs or workshops or anything. Um, we leave that there for, you know, when the youth come, if they want to relax and play some games, that's where they can do that. I have brought in my uh, Xbox and PS4, though, to um, one of the activities I like to do that's fun that I mentioned at one of our uh, online meetings was uh, sort of play a video game in a class and sort of just criticize it, see what um, what we like, what we don't like, and then um, talk about maybe how that could be done in code a little bit in a very abstract manner. So a lot of the youth like to, you know, play the video game, obviously, and then we sort of um, you know, number one, discuss what makes something enjoyable, what makes something not enjoyable, what are you looking for when you use technology that makes it uh, easier to use, and also what sort of um, structures and code sort of can be used with this stuff, and it kind of connects the two. Hmm. Okay, neat. Sounds like you've got um, a diverse a diverse set of activities. We've done, you know, a little bit of uh, video game design stuff at the Wacomonic Branch Library. But, you know, a lot of the time it's just the kids are coming in to play video games unless we've got something something more formal scheduled. And, and a lot mm -hmm. of our time there tends to be all during the summer because after school and weekends it's tough to do anything that is too educational because the kids kind of rebel against that. Yeah, I, I mean, we've been feeling the same way. Uh, spring and summer was we, – we got a pretty sizable program going, and uh, fall was really tough and uh, – we sort of just started, I would say, recovering in the winter. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, you know, sort of them going back to school, it's hard to sort of engage them properly when they come to sort of relax afterwards and try to get more educational-oriented stuff. So that's, I would say, across um, – we have a bunch of mentors at the library for, like, art and uh, video editing and stuff. And one of the things we have been definitely, like, trying to figure out is – you know, how to make it less about like, you know, less of a chore and more something to be enjoyable. And we're hoping that bringing unique things in like the HoloLens and stuff can get a little bit more excitement exploration behind it. Right. And I have found that um, when we've got a patron who is, uh, you know, also interested because we have some older teen volunteers who come in. And if we set them up to, you know, either be playing a specific kind of game or doing you know, any of the uh, citizen science stuff on the computers uh, where they're, you know, either doing the protein bending or, or what have you, that that's what draws in a lot of participation. So, yeah, having mentors for, for different activities who show up and they're like, look, this is exciting. I like it so much. I'm just here to, to, to do this or help other people do it. I think that that's probably a great way 
to sort of generate uh, you know, ad hoc interest, I guess. Yeah. Well, one of the things we actually have been doing lately since, you know, referring to the mentors things, we have someone who specializes sort of in uh, video editing and stuff like that. We have someone who does a lot with music, someone who does a lot with art. Um, we've been, uh, you know, uh, one of the things we thought might be interesting to do to gauge some interest in the different areas is to come together and produce uh, sort of a you media video game. So we've had like me doing some of the programming stuff, uh, the artist doing some of the art for it. Um, video editing would be doing like trailers and stuff for it that the youth could help make. And then sound, uh, music would be doing the sound for the game. So we're sort of trying to do like a card game, uh, like game sort of, if you ever heard of Hearthstone or something like that. Right, right, um, right. and we've been engaging the youth a lot in, you know, how do you start thinking about making a game what do you have to consider and then as we sort of uh work on the game like we'll put it up on a a monitor or on um a tv that we'll connect to and uh talk to each other and then sort of the youth since they see us working on it and chatting they'll come over and ask questions and contribute and it's sort of been um a good way to get some interest in it because youth are really interested on how sort of building video games work and uh how all these areas can be included in it. And what sort of uh, platform are you using to create your engine? Is it, uh, are you using anything like RPG Maker or Unity, or are you just doing it direct, you know, from code up? Um, I'm doing it just from, I brought in, I mean, to make a game engine would take years, so obviously you have to base it off of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just brought in something in, um, a, a Java library that has some basic engines um, just because I've been instructing the, uh, in Java. So um, I didn't want to do anything else. We do have Unity and stuff on machines, and that's great. I just didn't want to mix it up, especially when I've taught uh, Java in the past to some of these youth. So they might you know, understand it a little bit better um, since they have that some of that background. So I've been just doing it by bringing in um, an already existing library that has a lot of those physics elements, and uh, we went off of it from there. Nice. Well, besides just hiring a, you know, computer science specialist, which, you know, sounds like a great idea, um, what, what tips do you have for libraries to sort of roll out um, any of your programs? Yeah, so obviously that's, you know, the one of the big problems I see is, uh, you know, I, I feel in my position, it was just sort of um, just, a, you know, something that just happened. And, um, you know, you, you're not always going to get, like you said, like sort of a computer science specialist in, especially when there's so many job opportunities out there and uh, you can't always offer like, you know, the same amount of money that other companies can so, and that's sort of something we've been struggling to do to get someone else in to sort of, uh, you know, work with me. Um, so that's one of the things being a sort of guy with a computer science background, I've been trying to think of, um, to contribute to the grant a little bit of how, you know, libraries with, you know, people who might be like, you know, technology oriented might know some computer science, but really don't have sort of a formal background can sort of go ahead and, take a look at these um, because I really do, like I said, in terms of uh, what I'm trying to do with that publication is sort of show that high school students uh, can learn 
um, you know, real world programming um, skills and stuff like that. And I would like to see a lot of that uh, happen more. But um, my sort of solution, I feel like, would just be if you can't really hire a a computer science specialist. I know a lot of libraries have um, some sort of IT staff on them that have some knowledge that could, if they're not really um, in a position to have them teach or uh, engage in teaching computer science, uh, give some um, maybe seminars or some workshops to some of the, uh, you know, people who the librarians who work at the library, um, tell them some of the basics. I think what a lot of our the librarians in the grant are doing of working alongside the youth to learn with them, I think that's a great thing to do. Um, uh, honestly, I think that contributes a lot more than uh, someone who has an established uh, knowledge base of it mm-hmm. uh, because you can figure out problems together. And I think that, you know, not only are you teaching computer science to them and interacting with that, but you're not sort of coming at it like you're sort of this a master apprentice role. You have it that you're on the same page trying to figure out these problems at the same time. There's sort of that little bonding experience you have there. Well, so there, I think, yeah, there's certainly a, a, a richer learning where not only are they learning how to do things, but they're learning how to figure out how to do things. Which... Yeah, and that's that's actually a great skill. So um, I talked uh, a lot with a professor, a professor at Michigan um, Tech, and he does um, – he does research on older adults in libraries instead of youth, but uh, I was comparing sort of notes with him on my study with youth and his study with older adults. One of the things that we see a lot is that um, a lot of the tutors he works with for his the library up there and that I do is we sometimes will purposely act like we don't know something or, you know, there's so many things in computer science that it's impossible for even someone who's been a veteran for several years in it to know all areas. So, I mean, I don't always have the answers either when someone asks me a question. So um, it is a lot about how do you figure this out if you really don't have someone there. And um, that's something I've seen, like I said, other uh, mentors do and myself sort of do to try to give youth the exploration of figuring out themselves and giving some tips on, you know, how do you figure out something you don't know in computer science, especially with when all the jobs out there, you know, so many new and upcoming technologies, they might say, here, I want you to learn this. We could really use something like this. And they're pretty much putting it on your back to figure this out and figure out how to do it. So that's a lot of what computer science is about. I honestly think that's probably the number one core skill in terms of working in computer science is the ability to adapt. Right. I've received more than one job because, you know, I've got that story that, hey, when websites were new, I taught myself how to make a website. And then (laughs) I was doing my company website three weeks later, you know, for for a company I was working for. And, you know, if you've got that ability to say, this is a thing, I want to learn it. And it's, of course, one of the things that librarians are so great at is we people think that we know things, right? It's not that we know (laughs) things. It's that we know how to find out the real answer and how to do a thing. And so I think that's probably the best thing that you can teach because when I got out of college, maybe 90% of what I learned in college had nothing to do with what I was going to do, but it taught me how to learn it. Right. Yeah. I, 
I definitely agree. I, I realized sort of halfway through college that, you know, the, they taught me the basics. They taught me what I sort of need to know to explore. But then I sort of, you know, took another level of doing stuff independently because I wanted to learn more outside of, you know, my classes or things interested in that I was interested in that wasn't being offered. And, you know, that's sort of where I learned that I need to have the ability to adapt to, you know, be like, okay, I want to learn about uh, machine learning or something like that. Let, let me go and figure this out, see how you get started. And that's when I sort of ran into things like there's, you know, Coursera. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but they offer like free sort of courses online in different uh, subject areas. Mm. And that gives a lot of good places to um, sort of expand your knowledge base and just uh, really being able to uh, learn different sort of APIs is is unique. Just being able to re- read something um, technic- technically worded, I would say. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. So is there? Are, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners before we wrap this up? Um, no, just, uh, I, you know, computer science isn't going away. It's definitely something that I think all libraries and schools should explore teaching in some capacity. Um, there's no wrong way to really teach computational thinking skills or computer science as long as you're offering it. I think you're doing a benefit to your students and people trying to explore what they want to do in life. Well, all right. So, John, um, one more time, if you'd let our listeners know where they can contact you if uh, if they have any more questions or, or, or thoughts about bringing computational thinking into their libraries. Yep. Um, best way to contact me is uh, Hotmail. Email, send me an email, johnaramondo at hotmail.com, A-R-O-M-A-N-D-O, and J-O-H-N is my first name. Well, thank you very much, and uh, listeners, I appreciate you for taking this time with us. John, thanks again for joining me. Yep, thanks.